BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are coming up. We're one day away from, I guess, when Donald Trump is actually impeached. That's right. Try to get the vote in tomorrow. On Wednesday. We're recording this Tuesday. And I guess there's still some question whether uh, the Republicans are going to do some mix of parliamentary procedures or just sort of like trying to run the clock so it gets forced to Thursday. everything, Everything in, in these kind of moments degenerate I mean like why like who you know <laughs> why does that even matter yep. um, to anybody but but everything uh, gets down to these like sort of tests of will e- even though it's not really clear what anybody's fighting over yeah that's true uh, before we get into too much of the news today uh, Kate do you want to say a word from our sponsor yeah I guess I would so <laughs> I heard some smack talk on my coffee drinking habits was carried out while I was away and I have nothing to say in my own defense because I do drink my coffee like a milkshake so <laughs> but for those of you who don't do you love to save a buck by skipping the coffee shop are you a do-it-yourselfer a brew-it-yourselfer so is Grady's cold brew you asked and they delivered brew it yourself with Grady's New Orleans style coarse coffee blend Designed to work in any cold or hot coffee maker, one bag makes 24 servings of Grady's Cold Brew exactly the way you want it. Order online and receive 16 ounces of their famous blend of 100% Arabica beans and French chicory in a resealable pouch for long-lasting freshness. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Or order Grady's on Amazon.com for next day delivery. All right. I, All right. Honestly, pretty convincing, yeah. I would say. Notwithstanding. <laughs> That's right. I live yeah. to act. But we have Grady's here. I have Grady's here. Yeah. We're well represented. Right exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's full. <laughs> they don't need me. We're fully in the holiday spirit here at TPM also. We're coming off of our holiday dinner last night and party over the weekend. So are you feeling the spirit? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> totally, totally. I think totally. that um, the uh, grape liqueur Josh Kavinsky uh recommended at the end of the night maybe it was put me just a tiny bit over the edge you know but um i hated it (laughs) you know it's funny like i it it, like everybody like you know took it as a shot i just like you know sipped it in a that's kind of what i did too and it's like it's hard it's hard to see how that's good (laughs) yeah it tasted like really bad yeah I, i guess there's sort of I mean, is it just like you're supposed to just use to get drunk? Get it or over like, with, I guess. Or, or, or like yeah, that. it's it's weird because it was like, it was, it 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 did not seem to taste good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much straight up. One yeah. of my uh, biggest shot techniques is plugging my nose while I take the shot. <laughs> you know, that's where I get all my cool street cred from. <laughs> and uh, Nicole Lafon made eye contact with me across the table and was just like, "Don't do it, don't oh, do yeah. it." And I was like, "No choice." <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> all right. Um, in other news, so. I guess 
one thing I wanted to start with a little bit, you know, we have the impeachment vote coming this week. The formal process kind of will be complete in the House, and then it goes over to the Senate for the trial. But one point, our managing editor, I guess executive editor, uh, newly minted, David Kurtz was making is that the whole Ukraine scheme, the pressure campaign, I mean, it continues to this day. And Josh, I know last night after uh, after you got home, you were tweeting some clips of Giuliani on Laura Ingram's show. Yeah, he's, he was, he was, and that's... I'm not sure it's the first time, but this is after like, you know, he went off TV for like a like a couple months. Mm-hmm. Basically. Yeah, I think there was even maybe a Vanity Fair story that kind of alleged, oh, Trump wasn't really happy with his TV appearances, and there was sort of a benching of of Rudy on the yeah. Airwaves. I mean, I think that he was uh, again. I don't. I, I don't think this was his first time. I feel like in the last week, maybe there was one other TV appearance, but basically, I think he was almost entirely off TV and maybe totally off TV for like a couple months. And then, as you say, sort of related to that, there was one of these very Trumpian sort of, you know, kind of war of rumors and stuff about, you know, is he still representing Trump? Is Trump mad at him? Blah, 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 blah. But he was back and almost like, you know, you do like a reboot of some like someone who's <laughs> who's had like a couple bad albums or something kind of comes back. Come back right? to her. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, a couple bad movies, you know, or something. Because like he was he was quoted in that New Yorker piece. Mm-hmm. And then he did an interview with The New York Times. And I guess The New Yorker thing was actually an interview from November. So maybe a few weeks ago. But he he gave a, a kind of an eye popping interview to The New York Times. And then he went on Laura Ingram's show, and he had been like, I, 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 I sort of talked around it a little on on Twitter because there's enough like really serious stuff to talk about that you don't want to be petty, but it seemed like he had had like he looked like a different person, and it was partly he was made up differently, or maybe it seemed like he had some Botox or something. So that's mm-hmm. a whole other whole other thing that I probably shouldn't even mention. But in any case, <laughs> he. It, He's back, like, you know, got new evidence, and he's making these these pretty serious accusations against that fired ambassador. Um, but, yeah, to David, to, to David Kurtz's point, and it, I, I saw that in, in, our, in our Slack channel this morning, and, and I, it really did resonate with me because, as you say, it's not like this thing happened in the past and we're trying to decide what the consequences are. It's still going on, like actively going on, which does – you know, it is very different from from Watergate in as much as, uh, you know, then you had these kind of specific bad acts that were in the past. It wasn't like he was like they were breaking into the DNC headquarters like again. Right. <laughs> you know, like or do it. Whereas here it's 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 still going on. And again, it's almost in a way it is almost necessitated by or you know, umbil- umbilically connected to their defense, since their whole defense is, is it was great. Like, of course we should do it. Like, we had to do it, and you should be thanking us that, that we did it. And if that's true, then why were you why are you stopping? Yeah, in a way, it sort of reminds me of Mick Mulvaney's disastrous press conference back in October or November uh, in the White House briefing room where he kind of let slip, like, it's all, foreign aid is always political, right? Like, that's how this works. And I don't think he really meant to say that. In fact, he, you know, Matt, you wrote about this. He uh, he cleaned up his comments, like, within hours of that press conference. But it's sort of like, yeah, it's all out in the open. Well, and I think that's something that's so scary about impeachment in a, like, dual reality world that we're living in. Because during Watergate and Nixon, it's not... 
you know, it was the cover up, you know, it wasn't like anyone was saying, oh, this is fine. Like one side was just actively trying to scuttle the investigation and the other wasn't, which is just such a more traditional understanding of how we investigate and dig up crimes. Whereas now, what do you do when one side is saying this is blatantly wrong and one side is saying, no, it's not. And we're still doing it. I mean, what what are I don't even know what Democrats are supposed to do at this point. Yeah. Well, one thing one thing I think it's important about about Watergate and and it is the missing thing here that we that is easy to lose track of is that from a very early point, the reality that there had been this break in was clear. I mean, they were charged with a crime and stuff, and it was clear. And relatively soon, it was clear they had some connections to the White House. So a huge amount of the time progression in Watergate was, does it go to the president? Is it just some random people he he you know he's connected to? Is it like a rogue operation that got out of hand? Then it was like it got to his highest level advisors, so um, Haldeman mm-hmm. and John Ehrlichman resigned, and it was only at the very end where there's like tapes, and you're like, yep, he hundred percent like it was his idea. Um, I mean, there's even even today there are Watergate holdouts who have this theory, which is very hard to sustain, but maybe not, I'm probably going to get emails about this, maybe not impossible to sustain that, well, Nixon didn't actually order the break-in. He knew about it after the fact, he was involved in the cover-up, you know, sort of, you know, it was pretty deep deep in the weeds, but that is the kind of thing, and what's so different about it here is, from the day one, like, from when we knew about the scandal. We knew first about Trump. Like, we didn't know whether the underlings were involved. Right. <laughs> but we knew Trump was involved yeah, from that day part, one. That part came later. It's true, yeah. And it, it, looking back on that Mulvaney press conference in, this, in the scope of this whole thing, it seems like the mistake he made was trying to clean it up. You know, because nobody has gone back and said, well, he didn't really mean that we held up this aid over this investigation we wanted. They just sort of glossed over that. But the fact that he apologized makes it look like there's something to apologize for, which, as we said, is totally not uh, the message of this whole story from them. But also an interesting thing from that New Yorker profile that I wanted to highlight. It's very long. It's a lot about the history of Yuri Lutsenko, the former prosecutor general of Ukraine. But what was striking was the fluidity of all these connections. And it sort of goes to the point that they're trying to sort of advertise this as just a normal diplomatic thing for Rudy Giuliani to do. He has alliances with Lutsenko. Then they, they fall out. Then they get back together. And throughout the entire course of this article, Giuliani is just kind of testing new theories. At one point, he tells The New Yorker, you know, maybe Joe Biden was involved in the hacking of the Democratic National Committee's email systems. And oh, I didn't even, I didn't. Yeah. I read, I, I read the, the sort of the extended lead. I didn't, I haven't had a chance to read the entire. It, it, this is about two thirds <laughs> the way through where, he, where the reporter is talking to Giuliani. He's talking about all this information about how he has proof Yovanovitch committed perjury and all these other things. But what's striking about it is you can tell he's not that concerned about the accuracy of any of this. He's just kind of throwing it out there and seeing what sticks. And if you're, if your point is that none of this is illegal, none of this is impeachable, then that's totally fine for him to do that. But it is striking that after all of this, there's still full steam ahead with this kind of activity. Yeah, no, I mean, and and it is, there is a lot of this that you have stuff that is very uh, normal, not just in Ukraine, but normal in a lot of sort of broken states where you have like chronic corruption and stuff, where it's sort of it's sort of 
expected or at least very common that the folks who get back into power, they come up with all sorts of like kind of crazy accusations against the old, you know, against the people out of power. And there's something, there's something a little hard to capture, but in a certain, um, in a certain way of thinking, in a certain way of speaking, you're just, you're just kind of piling stuff on. It's not like you're thinking like, oh, I got to be careful about the accusations I make because if one of them turns out not to be true, my credibility will be really diminished. I mean, you're not thinking about that, <laughs> right? You're just kind of like tossing everything on. And it's clear that in when you look at, um, so this Lutsenko guy and the Shokin guy and all these different players, clearly they can see that Rudy is just looking for th- anything and you just kind of tell him, you know, maybe Joe Biden, you know, killed Kennedy or something, you know, just <laughs> anything. And 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 clearly Giuliani just just kind of pick well he'll pick up anything yeah. and, and and run with it. And then, you know, the the nation's pretty much highest rated cable news channel will go ahead and book him and you know, broadcast that to their millions of viewers every night. So, well, and didn't Trump just tweet something like something so odd? He's doing this out of love, or <laughs> there's always he said that I think during a like a a meeting, uh, one of those uh, cabinet yeah. kind of mm. briefing kind of. No, but he there's always <laughs> there's always this thing with Trump that he has this weird sort of romantic sexual kind of vocabulary <laughs> that he describes things with. Yeah. Like do it like when even like the stuff with Kim, like we fell in love. Right. It's a love story. Calls there, a lot of things like beautiful that it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. yeah there, there's just a, uh, it, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's true. Stuff. They were writing Kim Jong Un and Trump writing letters to one another kind of it was beautiful cor- letter. We fell in love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, we we pretty much know what to expect from the impeachment vote happening tomorrow, I guess, or potentially Thursday. It's been a few kind of moderate Democrats who have been on the fence, but have more or less come around, most of them, right? People who won office in districts that Trump carried in 2016. Uh, Representative Jeff Fandrew from New Jersey, one Democrat who has, he was one of two Democrats who voted against kind of proceeding with impeachment back in October, right? Which mm-hmm. was like sort of the first procedural vote on the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he recently switched to the Repo- Republican Party after some... Although, has he actually done Not it yet? Yeah. yeah, it's still kind of like happening, but hasn't actually happened his yet. Staff like has while, all quit. While he, yeah, tried to beg his staff to stay, which is like... <laughs> Well, not just his staff. It's the, it and was all the triple C yeah, staff seconded like, to him. What yeah. do you right. think? They're going to be like, you know what? Yep. I, Our loyalty is to you, we'll not make the an party. Exception for you. I have yeah. a feeling that he's not going to come through this. It like I'm not saying the Democrats are going to hold on to that seat, but it, it's just it doesn't it doesn't look. Um, none of this has looked like it's from any. I mean, it's sort of obvious. Of course, it's not from a position of strength. <laughs> but I can remember back into like the Clinton era that um, who's who's the senior senator from Alabama? What's his? Uh, old guy now luther's no no no. he was the no the guy who's been there forever uh god i'm spacing on his name in any case he was elected as a democrat in like 1990 or something like that and he was one of uh three or four senate democrats who became republicans basically after 1994 Uh, shelby yeah shelby uh, shelby um 
And uh, I'm totally. Oh, there was also a guy, Ben Nighthorse Campbell, uh, a sort of centrist Democrat from Colorado who became a Republican. And those guys, you know, once the Republicans had 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 won, you know, complete control of Congress, they were already fairly, you know, fairly conservative Democrats. They came from states that, you know, you become Republican, you can hold on. So it's very much from a position of strength that it's a big coup for the Republicans. They're going to protect you. Senate works a little differently than than the House. And so in those cases, those were like big hits for the Democrats, not least of which because, you know, like you're not going to get that back. You're not going to beat the incumbent now as a Republican running as a Democrat. Whereas this, it's it seems like he could see his anti-impeachment thing was killing him as a Democrat in that district. He was not he was probably going to get primaried and lose. And so he's going to go to a Republican. But there was a there was an article, I don't know exactly where it was, uh, maybe it was in the Times or something, talking to, uh, you know, the local local Republican Party people. And, you know, some local Republican official pointed out, like, 100% um, Planned Parenthood voting record. I mean, good luck with that in, right. in, in, in the Republican Party. Yeah. Um, and they also said, well, you know, kind of like 90% voting for Nancy Pelosi. I mean... That kind of stuff is like whatever, but like again, the 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 choice thing that's pretty tough. Right. Um, it's interesting that you know, Kate, you wrote about this this morning, but Trump had a meeting with him on Friday in which he personally kind of lobbied mm-hmm. for him to switch sides. Uh, there were others involved in the effort. McCarthy, yeah. I want to say. McCarthy, yeah, from the beginning, uh, made like the first overture. And Chris Kelly- Christie, Kellyanne right. Conway, because she's like randomly from New Jersey or something. But I kind of went along with what you were saying, Josh, is like when I was, you know, reading up on this guy, I was just like the lack of groundwork that he's laid here is ridiculous. And that goes, I think, with the Planned Parenthood voting thing is like, if your wheels are turning, if you're seeing your district get redder and you know you want to be a Republican, wouldn't you cast a few votes to make yourself look Well, the, f- the funny thing is, too, though, it's not that the district's getting redder. The district's getting bluer. It used to be a more Republican district. And this guy, Frank Lobiondo, I'm 90% sure I have this right, is the guy who retired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and there's also this thing where there's this South Jersey uh, political machine run by this guy, Norcross. So it's like a whole, all of South Jersey is like very, they've got the kind of corrupt machine down there. So... So he comes in as a moderate, you know, kind of well-positioned moderate Democrat. Mm-hmm. It's kind of formally Republican district that's kind of moving um, moving more Democratic. But the funny thing is, is that there are like at least a couple dozen freshman Democrats who are in districts that are redder than his. It's mm. Cook has it as an R plus one district. Oh, wow. Which is not that. I mean, it's, it's you know almost definitionally kind of like kind a, of a split a district. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you've got um, like the the other guy, the other of the two Democrats who voted against the inquiries, this guy Colin Peterson, who's like, is it Minnesota? Minnesota. Okay, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. He's in a third, like, Trump won it by 30 Super points. Red. So yeah. like with him, you just like, are, you know, dude, do what you got to do, right? No, he's <laughs> claiming that he's staying with the party. But. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm saying in terms of voting against right. impeachment or whatever. And so you've, all of these, like um, that woman, I'm thinking Shokin, the guy in uh, Ukraine, uh, uh, 
Slotkin. Slotkin. Yeah. yeah. Slotkin. Uh, her. Uh, Elaine Luria in Virginia. Luria. Is it, uh, what, what's the woman in uh, Span? Spanberger. Spanberger mm-hmm. uh, in Virginia. They're all in, in seats that are at least like half a dozen points plus Republican. And maybe they're trending Democratic. So the weird thing is, is that this guy does not need to vote against impeachment. Right. There's something, so you know. He just it, wants to be a Republican? I don't. So it's interesting when the story broke over the weekend, it was like four or five different publications cited the same internal poll from Van Drew's campaign. And it's honestly difficult to say who leaked it, the Van Drew campaign or the DCCC or the Democratic machine. But the numbers for his Democratic people who had voted Democratic in the previous primary and were right. likely voters were terrible. Like after that initial vote against uh, authorizing the investigation, he was just done with local Democrats. So, But it is interesting to compare that to people like Spanberger and Luria. You're, you're much better off, at least in this case, being a Dem in an R district and voting for impeachment than being a Dem in a mid district and voting against. So you're, there must have been something just in he just truly didn't believe in impeachment but that just tanked his career yeah it well and again it's it it is it goes to your issue about preparation kate mm-hmm. because sort of like what's the story cuz i don't like he goes like i looked at his twitter feed right and he actually did which is sort of funny now he had this he had this tweet from Sometime in November, I think it was actually after the uh, the Stephen those Stephen Miller emails, mm. oh, yeah. and he said, "I'm voting for you know House resolution, blah blah blah, because white supremacy is unacceptable, and blah 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 and blah, and the Republican Party and blah." But everything else in there is, "Oh, I'm here with uh, Joe from the local Rotary Club, and I just passed the renaming of the post office after Fred." You know, very like constituent service, mm. non-ideological. Um, so I don't, he doesn't, he really does not seem like someone who's like, dude, I'm just anti-impeachment. I, it may kill my career, but I believe this so deeply. <laughs> I don't I don't really know quite what it is. And, and I, I would think with that poll, if you are, if you're a Democrat in Colin Peterson's district, I would imagine, I'm sure he's, maybe he'll face a primary, but I would imagine you'd say like, look, it sucks, but like, I get it. Trump is really popular here and you just, you have to sort of speak for your constituents. But if you're a Democrat in the second district of New Jersey, you just think like, dude, fuck, what is, what is up with you? Like, this is like, obviously like the wrong decision and you don't have to do this at all. So you're just like an idiot. Especially and- in this like really scattershot manner that it seems like it's happening. It's kind of like, you know, he, he votes against launching the inquiry and then Republicans do, you know, start like a pressure campaign, but not kind of any campaign that it wouldn't he wouldn't be, be expecting. You know, they're just saying you're going to lose your seat if you do this, which is like that shortly has crossed his mind as right. well. Yeah, you think you would have like kind of fact that, that ahead of time like that. right and the thing is too is that it it is it, it's just weird because like did you think you weren't going to get a backlash from democrats this is so core this is like d- democrats i mean for good reason in my perspective you know, to my way of thinking believe this so deeply and if you're against it like 
why didn't you become a Republican like like two months ago or something right. like that? Or why something? It's, and, it's I weird. Mean, and he had to be aware of the reality that very few Democrats are going to defect on this vote. So everyone who does or even who has a possibility of doing it is in a spotlight, you know? So there's no way this was going to fly under the radar. Yeah, ex- exactly. If, you're, if, it, if it had been something, I don't remember the exact number, but when Clinton was impeached, I think there was like maybe as many as a dozen Democrats who voted for at least one of the articles of impeachment. Mm-hmm. A lot of people from like the, you know, Texas and the South and stuff like that. Maybe it's a few fewer. But yeah, when it's like one or two, man, yeah. it's just like a bright light on you. Yeah. And and anybody who wants to run against you in a primary just like tosses up an act blue link <laughs> and says like, dude, I'm running against Jeff Van Drew and, and maybe you're going to lose, but you will run like, you'll get, you'll, you know, uh, uh, raise like tens of millions right. of dollars. Yeah. Because everybody's just so pissed at I mean, the I wonder if there's any chance that he's got a bigger fish to fry here. If he thinks that, you know, if he's putting his life, his political life in the Trump camp's hands like this, I wonder if he's been promised something that we don't know about. I mean, it seems kind of small time for, to me for a representative. You know, that doesn't seem like a natural launching pad to become... I don't know. I mean, what's it going to be like? Head of the post office or the district or something? (laughs) It's it's hard. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. But just to throw one more very curious thing in here that I saw over the weekend. This broke, and so I I was on Sunday or Saturday during, and I saw this that I still haven't been able to make heads or tails of David Wildstein. Oh yeah, the Bridgegate guy. Well, and also, well, go ahead. There's more. More. Yeah. So he now runs a publication called the New Jersey Globe, and it's now been reported all this backroom stuff between Van Drew and Democrats trying to negotiate some kind of thing. He was the first to. Report, and I'm really, I wasn't sure what to make of this at the time, that Van Drew had asked the Democratic county chairman to sign a letter backing him for re-election, and they had refused, probably because he was so unpopular right. among uh, local Democrats. So it seems like there's some some mysterious things going on with the local Democratic machine that y'all just reminded me of. But that's I couldn't make heads or tails of that, and it does point to some larger machinations going on here. Well, it's funny, because Wildstein, uh, wait, it's Wildstein, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Before he worked for, um, before he worked for Chris Christie, he had this. Uh, it was uh, Politicker and Jay. Yeah, mm. um, kind of folded into the New York Observer. Right. That was later bought, and they tried to make a network of of state political sites, and it crashed and burned and everything. Um, but uh, but one uh, friend of mine actually worked for him, mm. so he actually has like a a, a sort of a. Semi-journalism, kind of political operative slash journalism, but yeah. it was really a did much. Steve Kornacki work for Politiker NJ. Steve too? did, oh. Kornacki did, and another. I'm not going to mention because I because you know, <laughs> I don't want to cause anybody trouble. Sure. But another another uh, friend of mine uh, did, and again, it was one of these things where he was kind of political operative, but it was like a must read for New Jersey politics. Yeah. Um, so he has that prehistory of doing something like he's he's doing now and so he it made perfect sense that he has great sources and everything right like that. right so it seemed like the democratic establishment in new jersey had told van drew like this is not going to work out for you you need to step aside right <laughs> you know? yeah i guess well it is it that makes it even and i know we're i know we're kind of going over time on this topic but it's just so fascinating to me um it does because it does make it seem not like he's like you know, becoming a Republican. It's more like he's like expelled from the Democratic Party, even though at the national level, it does sound like other Democrats in Congress were trying to get him not to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense on both sides. I mean, obviously, at a certain level, um, 
like there was there was this uh, reporter for Politico who was who tweeted over the weekend. He called it like a massive boon for the anti-impeachment <laughs> yeah. forces. And I kind of went on. I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like a massive boon. It's like a someone like, no one has heard of. And yeah, it's like a minor bragging point that we'll talk about for like a day. Yeah. Um, but you can see where the Democrats in Congress would want to, you know want to avoid it it's one vote it's just sort of like a little mini black eye maybe yeah. like a little tiny little you know uh, pressure bruise or something like that um but yeah if 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 the local kind of heads weren't endorsing that's basically said dude you're on your own we're like right. inviting a primary it, it did seem yeah. a little fishy at the time because it's one guy he's very sourced up that kind of thing but subsequently but again, we heard about these letters from other but he's yeah. legit that guy yeah he's he obviously involved in Bridgegate. he has <laughs> some character issues maybe <laughs> but he definitely he definitely is incredibly sourced up in new jersey politics and knows everybody so he's for this kind of thing he's highly highly wired and reliable yeah. i think so yeah so the after the house does its formal impeachment vote obviously it moves to the senate we have seen reports i guess over the last few weeks about is it going to be a short trial is it going to be a long trial and trump i guess is kind of says characteristically like oh i'm kind of fine with either one but it's not you know he really wants a spectacle to drag it out to allegedly try to expose the whistleblower who, in a way, started this whole thing. Uh, sounds like McConnell really wants to keep it tight, just basically get the thing over with and acquit. Um, Schumer wrote a letter to McConnell over the weekend saying he wants additional witnesses, including... Or, uh, like, witnesses. Yeah, like not additional, witnesses? but any witnesses, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, including John Bolton, uh, Mick Mulvaney, a couple other kind of lower-level uh, deputies. Schumer, I'm sorry, McConnell on the Senate floor this morning basically said, no, that's not going to happen. Um, and what was his, what was, I mean, just that, not that it matters, but what was his rationale? Basically that the Senate shouldn't do the House's homework, basically. The investigative phase is the House's responsibility. The Senate is supposed to be impartial jurors, which obviously McConnell has kind of given away the game on before already. But um, yeah, basically that, that they're not but also blatantly dishonest in that he said that he blamed it on the House rushing through a partisan right. thing. And the whole reason we haven't heard from these witnesses is that they've literally been barred by the White House from testifying. I so. mean, the most ridiculous Republican argument that they made time and time again in the House. Like, do you ever talk to Trump? Mm? Guess he didn't. Not a good witness. And it's like, okay, <laughs> right. Jim Jordan, like, who's right. not letting them talk to Yeah, him? exactly. So I wonder how... Sorry, go ahead, No, Josh. you go ahead. I'm go curious, ahead. how long do you... How long do we expect the trial to last couple weeks is that kind of the the i think if they do it with no witnesses it's going to be more like each side has like a day presentation and then it's it i mean there was i don't my my recollection i actually covered it in person the the senate impeachment trial in yeah you were telling us last night 99 like you know in the in the little you know um seats that are kind of hover over Mm. the senate you know watching it from there um my recollection is the whole thing was like a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it was longer than two weeks, maybe two and a half weeks or maybe shorter. It's pretty, I mean, there's not that much to talk about, right? Um, so I think if they don't do any witnesses, I would think it's more like three or four days, maybe something like that. I mean, and again, if there's no witnesses, what else is there to do? You just sort of like have each side make an argument and then you vote. And there was that there was that piece in the um, in the journal... Uh, today that a couple of us discussed on the site that it's it's very interesting because you 
at some level, sure, maybe Trump wants a spectacle, but there's clearly a part of it where he wants like revenge mm -hmm. against this whistleblower person. And part of Trump's whole shtick is you you need to show that you punish people who came at you. Um, I, you know, we can we can question if that's the right way to look at what the whistleblower did, but clearly that's how, how Trump looks at it. Um, but it's not so much, it's clear that McConnell is not worried about Trump being removed from office. He's really worried about those half a dozen, you know, kind of, uh, you know, in, in tough race uh, senators. And you start having witnesses, and that's just unpredictable. And new facts can come out, and there's lots of possibilities of um, the the senators. You have Roberts, the chief justice, who is kind of running the trial, um, but all of his decisions can be overruled by a majority of the senators. So you have the possibility as 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 you have testimony, a lot of votes. Right. And then, you know, maybe Roberts says, all right, we're going to hear from this person and the Republicans need to kind of make that not happen. Just a lot of votes that could make it a lot harder for those um, for those Republicans. And he's clearly trying to avoid. I would be very surprised if there's any witnesses. I, I think Trump will will will. That's just how he he'll kind of operates. fall in line. basically. Yeah. 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 So isn't it you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the senators do have power here to make witnesses happen if they want, right? I've been seeing chatter about the uh, four senators thing that, you know, that's all it would take. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Override they're, the rule decision or something like that. Yes. I mean, there's, there are existing Senate rules that are rules. Like it, they, they are in effect unless they are, are repealed. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's probably a procedural motion that says, you know, okay, if there were witnesses, you know, this long for witnesses, this long for that. But yes, anything can be, all the decisions come down to a majority of the senators. Right. Um, so if you did have, you know, four Republicans who, who defected, then it's, uh, you know, then they're in control. I mean, there's a little... Where it gets really kind of technical here is that in the normal operation of the Senate, you have what the majority does, but the majority leader decides whether a vote even happens, right? right? And so that that's one thing. Where things get a little less predictable is, at least in theory, how this is supposed to operate is that once a trial starts, the... Chief Justice is in essence like the majority leader. He actually controls the the process. He mm -hmm. can be overruled, but McConnell kind of gives up the ability to say, oh, we're going to vote on that. We're not going to vote on this thing. I mean, in practice, obviously, probably his 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 caucus is going to support him, right. but it does get a little a little weirder, and that's clearly what he's trying to avoid. Right. Kind of like, you're going to make your pitch president's going to make his pitch. We're going to vote and it's done. Yeah. I mean, this is something that I, I wrote about a bit last week, but, you know, I was kind of thinking about it after that flurry of headlines where um, one outlet said that there was no pizzazz in these proceedings and, you know, everyone... NBC News. Yep. Yeah. And like <laughs> everyone jumped all over that and was like, you know, how dare you undermine this grave moment? But, you know, it's not a totally invalid point in that there's so little drama 
swirling around these proceedings in a way that just hasn't been true for some other big televised deliberations in the Trump time. Well, I would say, too, I mean, you can even I mean, I think we've seen it in probably at some level, our personal interest level of us as as staff of this website. Also, you can see it in the traffic. And I think Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's mirrored across the news media that as long as you had witnesses coming in where you're kind of getting new factual information, you want to, you know, that's something might happen. You might find out something new. And, And for the last, I don't know, 10 days or so, it's just both sides kind of arguing over these kind of just inane points and kind of like, uh, you know, sham process and this and like, even myself who kind of like, I mean, this is what we do. Like I can barely stand listening to it because it's just, it's just a, it's just dumb. And it's, it's um, in fairness to the Democrats, you know, the Republicans are by design trying to just make it a shit show and make stupid Mm -hmm. arguments and make it sort of unlistenable. But at a basic level, there are no new facts. And sort of like you either kind of understand what impeachment is or you don't. So right. there's not a huge amount to, to listen to. Yeah. And this strikes me as Mitch McConnell's ultimate victory in how he operates and kind of a paradox of these proceedings is that everybody kind of agrees on what happened and everybody agrees on what's going to happen. Like we all know what this call says and we all know that the Republicans control the Senate and we all know, and now they're telling us explicitly that they're not going to treat this as a real impeachment trial. And so he wins by our assumption, our our realistic assumption that this is just not a legitimate impeachment uh, proceeding. And so that's it. People kind of tune out. They they don't take any interest in the outcome because it's sort of predetermined. And that's kind of what he designed for. Well, and that's he's so enabled in that, though, by even Republicans who occasionally have an independent streak, you know, especially those in the Senate where they've got some actual power here, have just gone radio silent. Like, you know, you had um, Mitt Romney at the beginning saying, calling it appalling, the, the investigations into the Bidens. And, you know, last I read from him, he was just saying, like, essentially, we'll see what happens, you know, keeping an open mind. <laughs> yeah. And I get that the math is impossible if they do the vote on conviction or acquittal. Why defect? You can't really help anything. Right. But it's also it it's also the case that there's a lot there's a lot more um it's at stake or kind of in contention than conviction. There is it would obviously be a very big deal if like there were fifty five votes for conviction, even though it wouldn't convict him. Totally. That would still be a pretty big deal. And it is still a pretty big deal whether or not they have a real trial. I mean, this is this is the um, this, this is always the thing about legislative politics. If you people members try to kind of say like, oh, I'm just here, just not saying anything, just kind of bad. I mean, obviously, that's functionally they're supporting McConnell. And that's that's it, it's worth making that clear because that's the reality. And And yes, you had like. Romney say something, you had even like Thune said, oh, it's not good, you know, it could be better or something like that. But obviously, you know, they all kind of fall into line. And yeah, every single one of them is basically on the record now in favor of not having a real trial. And that's just the reality. We're saying so. Yeah. All right. Well, before we uh, wrap things up, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free? 
good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. All right. Well, the end of the year is upon us, end of the decade as well. And I think this is probably our last podcast of 2019 because we're all kind of going our separate ways for a couple weeks and doing a bit of telecommuting and going home to our families and so on. So I thought maybe it was a chance to kind of, I don't know, look back at all the crazy shit that happened this year. Um, I was just even going through kind of the top Google searches of the year and just kind of trying to refresh my memory. Uh, I had totally forgotten that the government was shut down at the beginning of 2019. <laughs> it started in like late 2018. Obviously, oh, this right. stretched on to right. be like the longest right. shutdown in history, but that's how we started. And it wasn't like they shut it down actually when the Republicans were still in control. Right. Which is weird. Yeah. Exactly. They kind of pre shut it for what, like, to have it shut down when the Dem- after the Democrats were right. sworn in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what else happened? I mean, obviously, the Mueller report and his testimony. That was, when was that? June, May? The, the test, well, the testimony. The testimony was, was, in, was July. in July. Right. Um, the, I think actually the report came out in March. Oh, was it that? I'm pretty sure. It was, there was a significant, I mean, if you remember, there was, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain it came out in late March. And at the very beginning, there was like, oh, you know, going to get Mueller up here right away. And then it kind of like, oh, it'll be a while. And then right. it was late summer. And because and, remember, there was a significant period. I mean, people had almost kind of forgotten about it, mm-hmm. whether it would happen at all. And he, you know, he kind of made clear he didn't want to do it. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was late March. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I guess kind of early spring. Any other stories on your guys' list that... I don't know, you had kind of forgotten that to happen this year. Well, honestly, for me, it's hardest to remember what happened which year. I feel like the Trump administration has, like, muddied all sense of time. Yeah. I mean, was Kavanaugh 2019? Uh, no, no, that was, I'm pretty, I, I, think the, I think the year anniversary just happened. Oh, and that, okay. if you remember, they kind of, I think they basically timed it to be right before for the election. Yeah, I think it was either right, right before yeah. or right after right, right, the, right. the election. So yeah, and like Kim Jong-un's historic meeting with Trump, that kind of the... Uh, well, and there were two of them. Yeah, there? but the first one I think was in 2018 too. So yeah, it's, I had the same thought where it's kind of like, yeah, your brain is scrambled about what happened when the Notre Dame fire was in 2019. Mm. Obviously not a political story, but another big moment. Well, I mean, Trump helpfully weighed in by saying it what drop water bombs on it or something <laughs> right, everyone right. is like exactly. ah, yeah there's always God, a, there's always the a tweet rescue. or an angle <laughs> yeah right right uh what about you matt I, if i could i mean like i think that something that i'm constantly obsessed with is the tiny little things that sneak by as this whole as the drama of, of ukraine and russia and the tax cuts and obamacare is going on so i look through just a few months of we do a trump swamp column sort of executive conflicts of interest and if I could just read like a half dozen of these, Betsy DeVos has sided with uh, private schools like ITT Tech over thousands of students that have been defrauded and want their student loan money back. Uh, we've dumped thousands of uh, asylum seekers in Mexico where they face kidnapping, rape, and murder. Um, we've redrawn opportunity zone lines that benefit uh, rich Republican donors. Uh, the White House still employs Stephen Miller, even though he's been outed as friendly, to say the least, with white nationalists. Uh, rules that would rein in payday lenders have been eliminated. Um, rules that would allow 
groups that get government funding to discriminate based on their religion, as in uh, adoption company uh, organizations discriminating against gay couples have been uh, proposed. Uh, regulations on coal ash and on methane emissions have been uh, discarded or are being rewritten. And uh, just uh, last week with um, the uh, passage or the uh, negotiation of the defense spending bill, um, we were working to treat these chemicals called PFAS, which are basically Teflon water contaminants and exist at every Air Force base in the country. We were working at treating them like uh, Superfund sites, and the Congress recently uh, failed <laughs> to do that. So if you live near an Air Force base, uh, test your water. But it just strikes me, looking back uh, on the whole year, like the real power of the Trump administration to me is that there are lobbyists in all of these key positions. And, and so many thousands of little rule changes like this kind of sneak by. And looking back this morning, I, w- I was very struck by the amount of them in, in some. Yeah. No, I mean, that's such a good point, because at the caliber that crazy, grifty stuff happens in this administration, it's like you can't even keep up with all that happening with cabinet secretaries, you mm-hmm. know, much less like the lower echelons of these agencies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and even I mean, obviously, a lot of what you're talking about are these are these regulatory changes that are substantively bad but you know the the executive branch has a great deal of latitude to yeah. to to um uh basically make you know promulgate regulations but th- there's also i mean even on the sort of the emoluments thing just just the kind oh, of yeah. the endless like you know buying hotel rooms and like i think it was uh can't remember. So someone was making the argument I heard in the last week, like you know they shouldn't have left the emollient and stuff on the table in the uh, impeachment articles. You know, mm-hmm. one can have a, an opinion either way on that. But just you know, when he when when Trump tried to have the G seven meeting at at his place in Florida, yeah, I, I forgot c- about that. Yeah, I mean, just you know, which again is is one of these things that would 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 be a years long scandal mm-hmm. for like any other president and by like kind of upping the ante with these sort of like massive like grotesque abuses of power there's all this stuff like we just know that what was it the saudis like dropped a million dollars on hotel rooms a little while ago never stayed in there yeah it just it's you know just or even I think maybe you brought this up in our in our in our last episode or episode before last, Matt. That even like minor things. That in that call, that that Zelensky even tries to get some like props for like staying at a Trump yeah. at a Trump yeah. at a Trump hotel, right? It just it, it's it's we just treat it as obvious that mm-hmm. everybody needs to kind of check that box and kind yeah, of put like, some money in the tiller. For didn't Trump. Bill, Bill Barr personally funded the DOJ holiday party at the Trump hotel? Oh, yeah. right? Well, not Spent, like personally funded i mean we funded it i mean <laughs> right. he did it but with government government i thought for money. Some, i thought for some reason he was like paying for it out of pocket oh but really i didn't yeah, i didn't i mean kind of it's just a different it doesn't matter it kind of it's a, way, yeah. a different kind of scam basically right. i yeah. thought it was that it's just uh that it's government funded but i yeah. i don't but it's uh, but it's yeah like thirty five thousand dollars for a i mean yeah the, 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 the misuse of taxpayer dollars is it's not even a story anymore. You know, mm-hmm. we used to care mostly just because Scott Pruitt was doing ridiculous things, buying, like buying used mattresses. Or a moisturizer from fancy oh, hotels. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. Which is just like weird enough to be a story. But I mean, even now, Pompeo is going to Kansas constantly and essentially laying mm. the groundwork for his run did on you see he, taxpayer did money. Did you see he launched a personal Twitter account too? Just oh, so, yeah. 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 Yeah, very false. Yeah. Tweeting about sports yeah. and stuff right, right now. But Yeah, well, even, I mean, at least the sort of 
you know, misuse or extravagant use of government money is, you know, that's not a new story. That's happened in a lot of mm-hmm. administrations. Right. But again, this thing of either people in government or foreign leaders or just people who want to curry favor with Trump, you know, you know, buying things or, you know, just throwing money at him is a pervasive story. And again, it, it is since it is not as immediately threatening as these other things, it's just kind of treated as background noise yeah. now. Yeah. I take it's it back striking. to that um, Steve Bannon quote when he when they first won power. He said, we're going to deconstruct the administrative state. And they're, and they're trying their best. And the result is not that the government is smaller. It's that there's a vacuum where all of these uh, self-interested people can very easily just fill the void. And, and that's what's happened. Yeah. 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 Well, all right. On that uplifting note, <laughs> one of which we wish everyone a happy holiday. I hope you have good times with family and friends. And yeah. Well, we should rem- remind everybody that uh, of our sponsor. Yes, Kate, take it away. Mm, yeah, so <laughs> ring in the new year with some Grady's cold brew. You know, New Year's Day, everyone's tired and hungover, and it's like the worst way to start the new year. And I think New Year's Eve personally is the dumbest holiday. Oh, really? But well, that happens to be my birthday, so it's uh, Wait, really I, it is. Yeah. Oh, New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Is oh, the thirty-first. Yeah, oh, that's wild. Yeah. Well, maybe more wild. fun for you, but yeah. I just think starting out every new year kind of bleary-eyed is a a bad note, but you can mitigate the effects of those parties <laughs> with Grady's Cold Brew. Remember to get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. And that's what you should do. You could also get it on Amazon, but we encourage the first. Yeah. That's right. All right. All right. See you all soon. Later. Happy New Year.